immediately falls in love with her. Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer over on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Today we're discussing the FX original Legion. Based on the Marvel comic series, Legion is about a young man who's battled schizophrenia his entire life only to learn that he is a mutant and that his mental illness is really just his mind's way of coping with his vast power. Legion took a bold and daring move at the height of the MCU, but did this gamble pay off or did the series bite off more than it could chew? Stay tuned. All right, everyone, here are some critical details about Legion. Legion is classified as science fiction, psychological thriller, psychological horror, tragedy, and superhero. It was created by Noah Hawley, and it's based on the Legion comics of of, um, Marvel Comics, which were written by Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz. I hope I'm saying that last name correctly. The series was released from February 8th, 2017 through August 12th, 2019 on the FX network for a total of three seasons and 27 episodes. The series stars Dan Stevens as David Holler, a.k.a. Legion. He's our protagonist, a diagnosed schizophrenic, um, who is actually the mutant son of Charles Xavier, a.k.a. Professor X. And he has myriad psychic abilities, including telepathy and telekinesis. Rachel Keller as Sydney Barrett, a.k.a. Sid. She's David's girlfriend, a mutant with the ability to swap consciousness with other people. Aubrey Plaza as Lenore Busker, a.k.a. Lenny. She's David's best friend and a drug addict and alcoholic who's also an eternal optimist. Bill Irwin as Carrie Loudermilk, a mutant scientist and one of the founders of the mutant training facility Summerland. Jean Smart as Melanie Bird, a a psychiatric therapist, and she's one of the founders of Summerland. Jeremy Harris as Tonomy Wallace, a a former child prodigy and one of Melanie's specialists. He is a mutant who is a memory artist. He can remember everything and also take people back into their own memories. Uh, The last, excuse me. Amber Midthunder as Carrie Loudermilk. She is a mutant who lives inside of Carrie Loudermilk. The two can either reside in one consciousness or in as two separate entities. Katie Asselton as Amy Holler. She is David's older adoptive sister. Um, Navid Negabon as Amal Farouk, a.k.a. the Shadow King. He is a malevolent presence in David's mind, which takes on many forms. Uh, Jermaine Clement as Oliver Bird. He's Melanie's mutant husband, and he's Summerland's third and final founder. He's been living on an astral plane for the past 20 years. 
Hamish Linkletter as Clark Debussy, an interrogator for Division Three, which is an organization committed to finding and eliminating mutant threats. Last but not least, Lauren Tsai as Jia Yi, aka Switch. Uh, she's a young mutant with time traveling abilities. Um, so let's talk about it. Season one was a very tentative eight episodes. This is not standard for FX. If you've seen other shows on FX like Sons of Anarchy, uh, you know, The Mayans, which was a spinoff of that, um, Nip Tuck, which I'm sure we'll talk about eventually. These FX gives shows incredibly long seasons from Jump, but this series only had... Uh, very brief episodes for all of its three seasons. So let's let's jump into the show. I think FX knew going in that they wanted this to be a very brief series. At least that's the impression I got. Yeah, so Legion is really... So yeah, Legion is interesting. Legion is, um, to give some context, is a, a story out of the... Uh, X-Men, like specifically the X-Men microcosm, uh, like X-Men universe. And it's all like X-Men characters. So Legion himself, uh, AKA David Holler, um, is the son of Charles Xavier, uh, AKA Professor X. And, um, you know, some random, cause Charles be fucking random. And... He he Uh, really does. He really do be, though. Like, that's definitely what he does. In the comics, Charles does not realize he got this woman, Ego Prego. And she kind of, like, conceals the pregnancy from him. And she just kind of, you know, does her. In the show, uh, David has schizophrenia. In the comics, he has DID. Yes, that is a very big difference. DID, dissociative identity disorder, is not the same as schizophrenia. (laughs) And it's really interesting because it's clear that the show runner doesn't understand the difference either. Right. Like in the, yeah. So in the show, he sort of has both going on. Like, and I guess it's because they're trying to, I guess it's because they're trying to reconcile this. Maybe they want him to be schizophrenic. And then, but, like, the DID, like, aspect of the original character is interesting. And you, and also, like, you, you need him to be a DID to, when, to bring it to the conclusion of, like, the series in the third season. Right. Right. But then it's. But to everyone around him, it just looks like he's schizophrenic. They don't see the DID, which is weird. Because most people who live with someone who has DID is aware of at least one other personality. Like after time, it becomes so hard for them to hide it. Mostly because they, they're not, the person themselves is not aware. So they're not trying to hide it. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, it's kind of wild. I would say, and like, listen, generally television has not done DID well. Um, I think the one example you could maybe point to was like, um, United States of Terra, and even then, I remember a lot of people who in the DID community saying like that's even that still is like really ridiculous because of I think the the changing clothes the the changing clothes aspect they said was like silly because like you just become that different person you don't necessarily like 
but I can understand from a film perspective why you need this character when when she's switching out between these personalities to like change clothes because there is something about it like that helps the audience visually. But right. that's another thing for another time. So in the, in so in the comics, David gets David's DID manifests because he sees his father, the father that he knows, I guess, um, not Charles, like murdered in a really horrific way like and he his that's when his powers manifest but because of the trauma like he his brain sort of breaks into these different personalities um Mm. and on the show that's not how it happens like on the show it's like david was born and um charles expels essentially amal farouk into the astral plane and then Amal Farouk finds young David and attaches himself there. And th- that is how David's brain breaks is that he has been sort of feeding on this young child for the entirety of his life. Right. Which is so like, which honestly kind of messes with the schizophrenia premise as well. Because schizophrenia, again, it's about auditory and visual hallucinations. If there is a malevolent entity that's actually fucking with me and it's real, then I'm not schizophrenic, am I? <laughs> right. And so, and then, and I guess, and they, and the show tries to explain that away because they were like, I guess like at the end, the show's like, oh no, yes, you were always schizophrenic. <laughs> I guess it realizes <laughs> because, um, in the end, like, and the end of the series, like, or like, not at the end, but like in the f- second, at the end of the second season, Sid is like, you were being fucked with it with by this male- malevolent presence, but you are also like just crazy, like just schizophrenic, like it's both. Like, I guess you're I mean, two well. things can be true, but yeah, they're doing a lot. They're putting a lot on this character, and honestly, David, it's David Holler is such an interesting character to me because I feel like he got done dirty by his daddy and just like nature <laughs> in general. Same, same. Like he, the name is interesting to me because uh, it reminds me of like a. It's uh, there's like a biblical reference to that. Uh, I believe there was like a man of God who was on the road and he came upon a demonic entity and he knew immediately that this was like a malevolent spirit. And so he asked the demon, like, what's your name? And the demon responded, um, they call us Legion for we are many. No, that might be. So when I read the title of this and then I read the synopsis of this, that's the first thing that came to mind. Um, was was this reference and i think that's why they call him legion as well um because david holler is literally housing enough personality and enough power for several mutants in one body right he's not the only one his friend uh lenny as well um she kind of goes through that later right where they like get her a new consciousness um there are some things that the show does that's kind of cute and that I kind of mess with. Um, one of the things is that uh, Lenny Busker was supposed to be played by a man. This was a male character. But Aubrey Plaza auditioned. He liked her. He wanted to give her the role. And she's like, yes, but don't change the dialogue. Which is why so many of the things that Lenny says might seem odd coming out of a woman's mouth. 
Another thing that they did to the, our lead, Dan Stevens, who plays Legion, is that they would not tell him what was going on on set or they would give him like 70 or 80 percent of the script to keep him in a constant state of confusion so that he could better play the character. Mm. Um, Which I can't I kind of mess with. But honestly, as a professional, <laughs> I would be upset. Right. Like that would <laughs> I get that, but also annoying. That would stress me out. That would stress me out too, but like I understand, but at the end of the day, um, I feel like it had the desired results. I do feel like Dan Holler did do a great job playing Legion, but I, for all the reasons we just explained, like the differences between schizophrenia, DID, and literally just being haunted by a demon, <laughs> the writing could have been better. Yeah, so, like, if you're looking for, like, a really sensitive portrayal of, like, mental health, like, this isn't it. Like. <laughs> it's really not. And it's unfortunate because I think the show does think it is. Like, I think the show does think it's saying something about the nature of madness, but it's not. <laughs> the show is created by Noah Hawley, who very famously does um, the Fargo series, uh, which is another extremely critically acclaimed series. I remember Legion, when it came out first, was also extremely critically acclaimed. Um, I don't remember if it was like a commercial hit, if a bunch of people watched it, but I do know that it was one of those shows that just critics relentlessly covered because um, they wanted everybody to love it. I remember Aubrey Plaza getting a lot of like accolades from this role. Uh, it I wouldn't, it didn't launch her career, but I do think it propelled it forward in a significant way. Um, and then I think this was Dan Stevens's like second thing out post mm. Downton Abbey. Mm -hmm. So this was this was um, that for him. And you know, I actually really love Dan Stevens. Uh, he's really interesting to me as an actor, only because like he really does like. There is something about him that is very like. Very, very mediocre, very, very average, very, very, like, average every white man. And mm -hmm. whatever that is, it allows him to completely sort of, like, melt into whatever he's playing. Like, um, which I think is really cool and interesting and, and rare. Um, he's not magnetic in really any sense <laughs> i don't mean to like i feel like i sound like i'm dissing him i'm really not <laughs> I'm, I'm actually this is actually something i i think that's really interesting about him as an actor like i really every time i see him i truly believe him in everything because i never quite remember him or or, or remember his face dan stevens is one of the things i like about lesion um, yeah. I also like Aubrey Plaza's performance. I love Jean Smart in the series. I love her in everything. Jean Smart is always a good casting decision. <laughs> always, 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 always. She's always good. Um, this season was clearly not intended to last for this series, excuse me, was clearly not intended to last forever. And it didn't. You know, they gave them eight episodes in season one. 11 episodes in season two and eight episodes in season three. And as I've mentioned, this is very, very out of the ordinary for FX. It gives all of its shows 18 to 24 episodes per season. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. And I would say definitively Legion also feels like the precursor to like 
what we have now, which I think is right now we're in like the the rise of like the limited series. And mm-hmm. I Legion definitely feels like a precursor to to that. Um, yeah, it's not quite short enough to be classified as that, but it's very clear that it, they're not going to drag this on for you. <laughs> for you. Um, so yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk about this pilot a little, a little. I will say this pilot is really good. The things to me that stand out about Legion are definitely the way it's shot and like I think the filmmaking of it. Noah Hawley is also sort of in this conversation about that where I think people are having now about what does it mean in terms of like the rise of like the television auteur. Um, obviously, like in film, like we have auteurs, like Spike Lee is very much an auteur, like Steven Spielberg is like an auteur, Quentin, Tino, Quentin Tarantino is an auteur. But what does that mean for like television? Television doesn't really have auteurs, but now that because everybody does TV, because the film industry is kind of sort of dead. Um, uh, you have this new burgeoning conversation about the film auteur. Um, and Noah Hawley wrote and directed uh, this pilot. And something that is very important about him specifically directing the pilot is that the direction of a pilot essentially is going to set the tone like filmmaking wise is setting the tone for the entire series whatever director comes after you is like looking at your pilot to see like how visually they are supposed to be rendering this world so i think that is also interesting something interesting and something to to think about with regards to legion and noah holly right 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 um now coming into the pilot of legion season one episode one we get a very clear perspective of if nothing else what this what we can expect cinematography wise from this series and that is excellence yeah it's really great it's really really great like it's you know it's mixing it's mixing a lot of 60s 1960s aesthetics uh it's a lot of like 60s modern pastiche with Mm -hmm. um uh, you know some future elements I would say it almost feels like um and I think this is a part of the series that's like actually very smart and like a smart decision on Noah Hawley's uh, part um it feels smart that he fashioned uh, this sort of after um X-Men Days of Future Past which is one of the more recent more popular X-Men movies and X-Men uh, Days of Future Past is is also like Legion in that it is it's 60s pastiche. Right, exactly. Um the thing about this show that I really really like is that I feel like every episode is is filmed like a movie. Now, this isn't always this isn't a good me saying that I like that is not your cue, uh, showrunners, to start filming your shows like this. It's not appropriate for every show. It's also definitely filmed and done in in a way to sort of disorient the audience to, I think, put us in David's perspective of being um, not well. Of like, And it's definitely, its aim feels like between like you know the constant flashbacks like they change the aspect the aspect ratio changes a lot 
um, when we are like getting these weird sort of fish lens close close-ups in these strange perspectives, it's to disorient the audience to so you can so the audience as well can feel like we are, I guess, not well in the way that David is not well. Which I think is also an interesting choice. Because you can get the message of the show across without doing that. However, I think doing it in the way that they did made the audience more sympathetic to David, which was the point. Like, we're not just looking at him. We feel like his experiences are resonating with us. Exactly. De- definitely. I think, like, because, like, you're, I think that's absolutely correct. It's a nail on head. Like, because we are sort of in, because we're in David's, perspective in this way specifically we definitely feel a lot more for him um which i think is a good choice and i think it works it's great and it looks great so we meet david uh we we, the show the pilot opens with this really great uh montage that very quickly sums up the, the sort of tragedy of david's life uh till now which he's i think 33 now in the world of the show and we meet him at a mental um faci- mental health facility and he is in like group he's in group and there is this like new girl named Sid who does not want to be touched at all period ever and David being David you know immediately falls in love with her um <laughs> And we real and like we eventually realize like why she doesn't want to be touched. It's because like she her power, she's a mutant and her power is like if you touch her, then like she switches places with you. Yeah, on some real freaky Friday stuff, you guys. <laughs> it's bad. And she does have control over it, which is why it's bad. <laughs> right. Which is why it's super bad. And it's and she doesn't necessarily yeah, she switches places with you, and then it's, like, your body... It butts a body switch, and then um, it, it only... It reverses, like, at like whenever it reverses. <laughs> she doesn't really have the power either to, like, reverse it properly. Yeah, sounds like a headache and a half, which it is. But it isn't until they switch bodies, and she is incapable of containing David's abilities that it becomes quite obvious that he's not ill. Um, All the illness uh, is a side effect of him unintentionally, or not unintentionally, subconsciously holding back his powers all these years. Sid is unable to do this and accidentally kills David's best friend, Lenny. Right. And then in then David is subsequently sort of, like, picked up by it, by this, uh, like you said, anti-mutant threat. Division three. There's always one of these. Like, every time there's, like, superhumans or mutants or anything like that, there's always an organization, like, in the wings (laughs) that's ready to round folks up and put them in a concentration camp or a dead zone, never to be heard from again. Yeah, and I Um, can't decide if it's, like, white people want to be oppressed or... (laughs) Like, if that makes sense. Or, like, white people just know white people. And they know that they'll be thrown under the bus by their own. <laughs> That's true. Because I really... Because I feel like... Because I do... But I do feel like if white... Like, 
if people got superpowers, if this is like a thing, I do think that like there would be trepidation. I also think that like white people, for the most part, if if white people saw that it was other white people, for the most part, they wouldn't think it was a problem until like unless people of color also got powers, and then they'd be like, oh, like no, we should do something about this. Child, listen, I know, I know y'all need girls love to flex. What if you get some powers? Maybe keep that to yourself. Keep that off the gram, off the timeline, please. Please. <laughs> I'm not trying to be rounded up. I don't care if you have powers. Good for you. Good for you. We can talk about it in person, not on the phone, not over Skype, <laughs> FaceTime, not on the timeline. Keep it to yourself. Keep it under wraps. They have killed us for less, much less. Anyway, um, and think about all those black people that went missing, uh, whose organs are probably being sold on the black market. Imagine how much mutant organs would go for. <laughs> Listen, there would be whole, like, you know, brand new, like, slave catchers devoted to, like, harvesting super-powered black people's organs. Ugh, yikes. Gosh, it would. It really would be like that. It really would be like that. So, um... Episode two, David is in Melanie's facility, um, which is Summerlin, the one that was started by uh, Melanie, Melanie, her husband, and Carrie Loudermilk. And he starts doing memory work with Tonami. And um, in doing this memory work, that's when we get all these flashbacks of David's childhood, right? Right. Um, his, his memories with his mother with his father um uh the 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 way he was before he started taking medication um and the voices that he used to hear and things of that nature um but it's one of those things where um it's overwhelming for him because you realize not just how much he's been holding back his power all these years, like completely unbeknownst to him, but also the way some people in his life tried to, to, you know, tell him this in a roundabout fashion and how other people tried to gaslight him. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, if I wasn't, if I wasn't schizophrenic before, I'd definitely be paranoid as hell now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, now paranoia isn't a part of his particular brand of schizophrenia, but it would be part of mine when I realized that all these people are liars. All right. All of these people are liars. So then we come to the, the thing. Um, so when, once they start doing this memory, memory work, we come to, in order to get David to sort of figure out and start controlling his powers and then help them in the quote unquote cause, I guess. Um, we realize that there is another, there is another issue with David. And that is that he, there is a, a, male, a malevolent presence that has been in David's mind that is making him, um, that's not, that's just not well for him. And that is uh, the Shadow King. Now, the Shadow King is a villain from, like, the X-Men universe. Shadow King um, in the comics is a tormentor of Charles Xavier. Uh, and even, and, and, and I think he's he's tormented a lot of, like, you know, famous X-Men villains. I, I mean, X-Men 
famous X-Men heroes. Um, I know he fought Storm at one point when he was, when Storm was in Cairo and has like had, uh, you know, dealings with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Psylocke. So that's definitely like his, his, his thing. Um, but on the show, he is, it is, he's, um, he's pretty much his comic book, uh, he is very similar to his comic book uh, counterpart uh, in that, like, he lives in people's minds and he attacks them mentally. And now, and then your whole thing is that you have to defeat him mentally. Right. Um, Farouk has the time and he wants all the smoke, essentially. <laughs> essentially. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know who doesn't have the time? David's deadbeat father, Charles Xavier. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we've reached that part of the, the, the episode where we're going to drag Charles Xavier. Um, listen, this dude is really out here putting on that device. You know what I'm talking about? Cerebral. And, yeah. and like, just hopping from mind to mind of people all around the world for shits and giggles. And you told me you never encountered a mind like David Holler? Really? Right. Like that's that's true. And I and I feel bad because like they have to use like young Charles Xavier because I guess like they can't do old Charles Xavier because it was tied up in like rights issues. But it does feel weird that like Charles just never sensed this omega level mutant just kind of hanging out. Yes. Can we talk about it? He Legion is stronger than Professor X. He's stronger than Magneto. He's stronger even than Jean Grey. What are y'all, what do you mean you didn't know he was alive? You sought out Jean Grey. She was so powerful that she got on your radar and you went to her parents' house to recruit her, right? But you never, ever, ever sensed this other presence that was infinitely stronger than her. And speaking of Jean Grey, she also was severely mentally ill because apparently that's what happens when you're too powerful. This So this first season is really just about David and the team at Summerland and trying to figure out how to expel, at least for now, the, the Shadow King out of his out of his head. Right. The Shadow King is our antagonist. And it's interesting that our antagonist is living inside of our protagonist. That is a, that's a nice little twist I haven't seen in a long time. A real, real long time. But this idea of a person essentially being at war with themselves or at war mm-hmm. in their own minds is not an idea that's played with often. Right. Because it's a, I mean, yeah, because it's a difficult one to execute, to be honest. Um Right, and Amal Farouk is basically a mental parasite, like a psychological parasite. Yes, definitely. He he feeds on he feeds on the the inner darkness of of people. And I mean, you're going to have a lot of that when you've been in mental health facilities and you've been institutionalized for years at a time. Right. You're going to have a lot of darkness. You're going to have a lot of dark days and a lot of dark thoughts. <laughs> Right. And also because, I mean, and people have talked about this, that like, it, particularly in the U.S., like our mental, like mental health facilities are, are I mean, they're basically prisons. Um, and in the 60s, a joke. A, a joke. joke. So David, I'm sure, has like resulting traumas from that. So 
this now the shadow king's been present since he was a kid apparently which is what makes this even more interesting because now the question is how much of his power has david been subconsciously holding back and how much of it has the shadow king been holding back so he could continue to feed on david right i mean definitely i think that's that's a big question honestly throughout the whole series because even when david gets the shadow king removed it's like well yeah because eventually when david gets the shadow king removed like well amal like you know convinces the team at summerland of like i was actually doing all a favor like he's so unstable that he's gonna like really fuck shit up in a real real way and you should have just like let me keep doing what I was doing. So this first season ends with a confrontation between Summerland and then Division 3, as well as the expulsion of this Shadow King from David's mind. So season one, what do we think of season one? Good, bad, or basic? The end of season one, I'm not gonna lie, I was on the edge of my seat. They got <laughs> Farouk out of David, but unknowingly put him into Oliver's body, and Farouk escapes Summerland in Oliver's body. Um, and um, David is miniaturized and placed into a device um, for everyone else's like safety and for observation, because we really don't know who David is without Farouk the parasite <laughs> inside of him. Right. We don't know who he is or what his real personality is or what he's capable of. Um, that season finale, I'm not going to lie, that hit hard. The pilot was good, but the season finale was better. I'm going to give season one overall, though. Like I said, the the line between schizophrenia and DID and possession is heavily blurred. But I'm still going to give it a good I think if you, can, if you can work through the episodes, it starts to make sense. Like, and you can like compartmentalize and I'm going to give it a good. Same. Yeah. I will say those, the episodes really are really disorienting. Um, but I will say because like, and, but uh, my grade is also a good, by the way, but like, um, yeah, the, that first season is hard because the episodes really are super disorienting. But the reason why it's it's a good for me is because the disorientation is very much on purpose and it has a clear purpose. It's not just, you know, it's clear that it's like this is like a thought out thing versus um, the quad that just <laughs> was bad at writing. Right. It's confusing because... The disorientation is being David Holler, right? Right. The confusion is being David Holler. The the not knowing your limits and your boundaries, that's David Holler. The not really, really tapping into your full potential yet, that's David Holler. And again, I think bringing us into that that uh, mass confusion of his mind makes him more relatable to the audience. It's really, really hard to make certain characters relatable. And a character this powerful and this ill can be very unrelatable to an audience unless you force us to live like he lives. Right. And I, I agree with that. I do. I wholeheartedly agree with that. So, um, so season two, season two, episode one, we pick up with Oliver and the Shadow King, which is now in the form of Lenny, um, kind of hanging out at this pool, uh, plotting their next move. 
Um, right. Um, and, uh, you know, David and Sid are still an item. Um, David is free of Farouk for the first time since he's been a child. So that's different. That's weird. Um, also, Farouk is going around uh, infecting people with a psychic virus called the Catalyst, which paralyzes their bodies, what causes their teeth to chatter. Like, you know, like uh, like someone who's cold, like someone who's freezing. Right. Um, and now that um, he's free of Farouk, he tries to find Farouk telepathically. Um, and... Uh, Carrie gave him a device that actually amplifies his abilities as if he actually needed that um, <laughs> and increased the range. Um, but now it's basically like he's about to duel with Oliver and Lenny, his bestie. It's really, it's really gross. It's really, it's really bad. He really, you know, he really cares about Lenny, obviously. And he really cares about Oliver, but Farouk is inside of Oliver. So he got to go. Right, so they they work to to get Oliver, but they are definitely conflicted about it, and and it's all very tense and sad and but disorienting and and cool and interesting. There is a dance sequence that happens that I hate. <laughs> yes, even though I feel like it does make sense within the world of the show because it's just it's like one of another one of David's sort of weird um, things that he just sort of, his mind sort of goes, but still I hate it. Uh, and um, yeah, that's where we are for season two is, is still the hunt for this, for the shadow King, because the shadow King not only is in Oliver's body, but there is a fear that, uh, the Shadow King is trying to find his his actual uh, corporeal form, um, and that if yeah. he finds it and he can reunite with it, then like all hell will break loose. Yeah, Farouk is apparently, supposedly, word on the street, much more powerful in his own body. We'll see. Um, we'll see. Um, one of the new things that they did this season is they added our narrator. John Hams narrates the second season. There's no narrator for the first and third season. I think the narrator honestly adds a little something just because there's so much going on. I, yeah, I liked the narrator this season, particularly because the narrator uh, sets up the ideas of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it's nice to honestly, it was nice to have something, uh, some sort of narrative structure that's super familiar to hold on to within the show. Yeah, like hold my hand through this because this is mad confusing. <laughs> Please, <laughs> thank you. Um, he basically serves as our, you know, our 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 tour guide through this through this land, um, and uh. David and Carrie instantly regret helping Farouk <laughs> because bodies are hitting the floor. Um, Farouk has made it clear that he does not care. And uh, Division 3 is still on David's ass more than ever. Yep, more de- definitively more than ever. But uh, but this season, um, season season two, David, we is like when we realize that David's and it's when we, the audience, and is and also I think the kids at Summerland 
realize that David is um, not well. Um, that uh, even with Farouk now purged from his mind, it seems that David, because of the of because of being fed on by Farouk and because of the traumas that he's endured in his life, um, is still not able to do what they had originally hoped for him to do and originally planned. Like he's not well. He's his instincts are towards that of destruction, and they start to become really worried about him and his in his potential. So the season two ends with everything sort of coming full circle and the team at Summerland teaming up with Farouk in order to try to put get a handle on on David and limit him and limit his power. Um, in fact, even we get like a Sid from the future because we learn that like David can like time travel kind of sort of. Uh, but we get like a Sid that comes from the future to to help um, tame him, um, and then in the season and it ends, the season season two ends with everybody coming together, being like, "David, you're not well, and you're you're clearly a schizophrenic, and and you have DID, and like we need to figure out essentially how to get you better before you can really have access to your powers and." And he rightfully, I mean, honestly, I can't quite blame David, but David does not really take this well. And because when they all kind of come together to tell him this, it does sound very much like sort of that that bad group group speak. It's giving intervention. Yeah, it's giving intervention. And David is like, I'm not going back to the mental hospital. I'm not going back to being drugged up all the time. So actually, I'm leaving. And he does. And it's a disaster. <laughs> It's a whole disaster. And of course they do this on the heels of his sister's death. Like his sister Amy's killed by Farouk. Y'all out here trying to make like a panic about the fact that he's just too powerful now after a whole lifetime of being repressed and suppressed. Are you serious? Did y'all think this was going to end well? (laughs) Come on. Come on. I'm not even mad at him for leaving. I'm really not. Like obviously he's a danger to society. (laughs) Um, but I also, but, yeah, but I also see his perspective very strongly. <laughs> yeah. What They put him in this sort of like little containment cell and he very, he makes quick work of it and, and disappears. And that is how we end season two. I'm going to give this season a, a real, a good as well. I really think that what happens in the season finale was an inevitable conclusion to people who had, let's be honest, always been a little bit fascinated and a little bit terrified by David's power. They were never, it's, they were never going to be okay with not being able to control him in some form or fashion. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that hard same. Um, there was no real path to self-determination for David and, and that sucks, but, um, it is what it is. Yeah. My grade is also very, is, is good. Um, I really do. I can't say enough really, uh, credit, for this this filmmaking and and being able to make a story like this of people with superpowers work with um the show is not cheap by any means but it certainly does not have the budget of like i think the new marvel series is like wandavision or loki definitely not <laughs> definitely um, not but they do so much with what they have and and it's 
it's very visually interesting and, and cool and has a lot of, I think, really great, cool references um, that of other films and, and comic books and stuff that they're pulling in. And I, I enjoy it. The vi- I really, yes, I really, really do enjoy the visual world of this series. Three. So season three, we're introduced to new people. You know how I feel about these new people, but they serve a purpose. We're introduced to uh, Switch, uh, Gia, Gia Yi. Gia Yi? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Gia Yi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gia Yi, Switch, who is a young young girl mutant who has the ability to time travel. Um, and this time traveling will be very important. Uh, she somehow, she makes her way. Oh, and by now, David has like a cult. <laughs> yeah, he and Lenny are leaders of a cult. And listen, I kind of fuck with it. I would say it feels very on brand for them. It feels on brand for them, especially Lenny, the eternal optimist, right? She can definitely get people to join a cult. Also, we have people that didn't have a lick of of, of authority or a crumb of power, and they ran a cult. So why not someone who actually does? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And, like, Lenny, I know Aubrey Plaza is, like, married to a man, but she definitely gives all of that good, big, gay energy. She does. I always got bi energy from Aubrey Plaza. I always got the feeling, like, she always gave me heavy dom energy as well. And she's very dumb, like, in this show. Um, you know, so we see the cult, and we see Lenny is, you know, living... Lenny's living her best life. She is fucking hot girls, and um, making people get her dry cleaning, and telling them what to do all the time. There, when we... When Gia Yi, you know, finds the entrance to Lenny and David's cult... And sort of gets in there. Aubrey Plaza is wearing this incredible, like, um, a purple bodysuit that, like, shows off, like, her chest. She just looks really great. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, she does look really great. I think people slept on Aubrey Plaza being sexy for many years because of she did, like, the deadpan humor. But, like, she's really sexy, and season three of Legion definitely puts that on display. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, I w- that's true. Like, I... Sh- and I think it's weird, because I think... I know people have, yeah, always thought, like, Aubrey Plaza was hot, like, in a, like, that hot, weird girl-next-door energy. But, like, here, it's very much, like, don't, like, you know, call her daddy. Like, um... Yes. <laughs> so, which is always a fun time. And like I said, that purple bodysuit looks so great. I wish I could wear it, but alas, the those are things that are not for the big titty committee. <laughs> Gia Yi goes and she, after she gets past Lenny, she meets David, uh, who I guess is having a good day. He doesn't seem unhinged today. So good, good for him. Uh, and he's doing all of the sort of cult speak and drugging people's drinks to make them more accessible to him and doing just you know following the cult leader handbook um but i feel like he's doing he's doing too much just like use your powers like boom boom boom, bing bang boom 
Like, right. all the whole drugging people nonsense is for people who don't really have anything to offer. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's real shit. Um, so, Ji Yi is like, oh, Ji kind of goes to hang out. I don't know. She has a rich daddy, so that's not... I guess that's why she goes to this cult. The show doesn't really explain it that well. Um, I feel like I'm supposed to just buy, like, she's rich... Her, she's just bored with her rich life and her rich daddy, so she just joins a cult to do that. But while she's there hanging out, um, Summerland, in in partnership with Division Three, come to take... David out and they do and so Gia has to go back in time and warn him uh that um there that that people are coming for him and we have like essentially like a cute little it feels like Groundhog Day type sequence that that's pretty interesting and fun that was a great sequence and I'm gonna say this as well (sighs) The moment you got to team up with the enemy, you need to stop and reevaluate your your goals. <laughs> how how are you a facility that helps mutants, but you're teaming up with a facility that literally rounds them up to bag and tag and test on them? The ends do not justify the means. You can't right. want to control somebody that bad that you're going to get in bed with Division Three. Right, that's true. There are a lot of questions here of what's going on, and then nobody has any real answers. And, like, he hasn't even committed any real crimes yet. Okay, drugging people is, is really fucked up, but that is a criminal. I'm not going to undermine that. He hasn't made anybody in the cult do anything they didn't want to do. He hasn't declared war on any nations. He's not out there robbing, stealing, raping, pillaging. Um, honestly, there are many more dangerous, more dangerous mutants than David Haller, um, yes, he's more powerful than them, but there are people that are abusing their powers far more than he is. I agree. Like, totally. Totally agree. Y'all are doing the most. The most. Why would you ever team up with Division Three? When Summerland did that, they lost all credibility for me. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Um, and then we... So then we meet... Uh, so then we... They bring in um, Charles, Charles Xavier, essentially, to help from, like, the past. So we time travel to the past to bring past Charles Xavier to the current present to essentially talk some sense into David. To be like, hey, David, don't kill people. That's bad. Don't run cults. That's bad. Right. Um, Which is cool, but, you know... Where was this pep talk when he was, like, 10, Dad? Um, (laughs) It's crazy how Charles Xavier always shows up at the 11th hour, but not a moment before. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he always shows up when these mutants are on their last leg, and they have, like, one nerve left. And he he starts to tap dancing on that last nerve. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But yeah, uh, David does what anybody would do in his situation. He uh, he goes straight to fucking with Division Three. He hijacks one of their buses. Uh, he manipulates the memory of some of the people, um, and basically does anything that he can to derail them from their mission of assassinating him. Right. I mean, 
I still think it's it's big of him not to turn on Melanie and Oliver and Carrie, which who could blame him at this particular point? Right. I mean, because they I mean, and it's I guess like the we're supposed to empathize with them because the whole thing is, is that future Sid time traveled back to essentially stop David from ending the world. Right. They actually they actually asked this woman to kill baby David. And I'm like, y'all are doing the most right now because this episode brought me to mind of, you know, that hypothetical question they always ask when people are drunk or higher parties. Like, if you could go back in the past and kill baby Hitler, would you? It, it's giving me that vibe. And I'm like, he's nowhere near Hitler. And honestly, he could be far worse just because of the level of power he has, right? Right. Um, they really had her go back in time to try to put David down as a child, like not go back in time and let Charles Xavier raise him properly. Um, not go back in time and expel Farouk or prevent Farouk from ever taking residence in his mind, not go back in time and prevent him from being locked up in these mental health institutions. No, just go back in time to kill him. Are you serious? Yeah, it's like, it's giving no sense. It it makes absolutely no sense. It's giving, like, infanticide is the way to, to solve our problems. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it's really, really sad. Um, uh, but, you know, he has, David has his heart-to-heart with Charles and basically tells him everything about his life up until this point. And they later realized that Farouk's children, quote unquote, his children are literally just vessels that are holding his victims. Um, Farouk's a bad guy. Farouk's been the bad guy all along, but he successfully hyped everyone up to be more afraid of David. Basically, essentially. <laughs> um, and then, and then, yeah. So then the, then the series comes to an end, like you said, with Charles, with David and Charles having this heart to heart and David and not David, Charles goes to the astral plane. I mean, well, David does battle Farouk in the astral plane, but Charles also takes young Charles Xavier comes and takes, um, some shots at Farouk. And essentially, Charles helps David, um, Charles and Sid help David reset the past in such a way that David will grow up without um, Farouk in his mind to, to, to damage everything. So that maybe he can grow up and have a shot at like a good life and a normal life. And Charles says he's sorry for, like, abandoning him, even though it's like, you're not the right Charles, but I guess that's a really nice sentiment. Um, and we end, the series ends with Sid and David looking down at baby David, um, saying, like, that, like, at least now this now that we've reset it, like you'll have a chance growing up and they sort of just fade away having never, they fade away back to the future style, essentially of since they changed the past, like then the current future no longer exists. Um, Mm -hmm. 
which feels very sloppy for a lot of the things that they established in the previous seasons, but like whatever. Um, it's fine. I guess. Yeah. I don't think it's as good as the last two uh, season finales. However, I knew I was not going to get much closure just because of the premise and the plot and the nature of this type of show. As soon as you bring time traveling into the equation as well, there's no way to tie that up in a tidy little package. There's lots of loopholes and plot holes when you start traveling to the past or the future. Exactly. So, so for what it was, I'll give it, I'll give it an A for effort. Personally, as far as the season goes, I do think that all of David's reactions, everything that were done to him, were acceptable and understandable. So that's why I'm going to give this season a good. I, I don't think it's as good as it's uh, the the preceding seasons, but I still think it's good. What about you? That's interesting. I give it like a basic plus. Okay. Okay. Um, mostly because I think, yeah, they, they really lose the plot, I think, in this final season. And then it feels like, it also feels like they lose the message of what the show want, of like, what they, I think they thought they originally wanted the show to be about. Because the whole, because like you said, they do romanticize his mental health. Um, yeah. I mean, his, his mental illness. And then it's suddenly like, oh no, now like you'll be free from it. Like it feels like it's, they're saying, no, now we change things so you'll be free from it all. And that's really the best thing. Like. Right. Which I, I, I guess maybe they came to that conclusion after all that like, this is not cute and it's not fun. Right. It's not fun for him. It's not easy for him. And no, it's not going to be this great tool that we can weaponize for our own ventures like this is actually really dangerous after all (laughs) right but and i guess like and i guess that they had gotten there like throughout the course of the episodes but it feels like they just land there you know what i mean right i don't feel like there was like a gradual progression that's true there was no there was no slow burn i guess in that direction yeah i would be with it if in all the episodes it was like I really, if David was like, I really am sick and like, this isn't, I really am unhappy. And like, I really do want to be, but it all just sort of, but that dump really just happens in the last two episodes. Right. All of that happens in two episodes. All of a sudden, everybody starts thinking clearly, more compassionately, and we get the ending that we get. Um... Yeah, I guess I was basing my grade on the first six episodes of that season. Because I agree, the last two feel very clunky, uh, very thrown together. Very just like, okay, I want to be done. <laughs> like, I got I got Basically. Fargo to do. I got to go do Fargo. I got to go get <laughs> Exactly. So, so that was it. But overall, I really... Um, overall, I really liked Legion. Uh, there's a... There's a prevailing criticism sort of in MCU now that Disney is sort of like the big owns everything Marvel. There's a prevailing criticism that now that Marvel is sort of in the hands of Disney and the larger MCU universe, we don't necessarily visually and cinematically, cinematically, we don't get like anything interesting from the world anymore. Um, 
And I feel like Legion really makes that clear that 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 is like a really true blue tried and true criticism. I think it's yeah, I think it sucks. I think it sucks that like there is sort of this homo- homogeneity that Disney would rather keep throughout the the Marvel stuff. And I understand why I really do. Honestly, I get it. Um, but it was nice to see. I I just I guess I want to say I really did enjoy this overall take visually and and writing wise. I do I like shows that are bold and kind of swing for the fences and I think Legion did do that. Yeah. I will have to agree with that. And I like how they kept it short, kept it sweet. I think maybe the show might have had one more season in it, but not any more than that. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made Legion good, bad, basic, and chaotic. If you'd like to check out the series, Legion is currently streaming on Hulu. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week as we keep this season going with our discussion on of sci-fi's groundbreaking Winona Earp. Winona Earp is currently streaming on Netflix, so go refresh your memory. You don't want to miss out on this conversation. The Good, The Bad, The Basic is currently streaming on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to tune into our regular weekly episodes on the go, leave us a review on your preferred platform, and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our weekly episodes debut. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron over on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material until next time bye everyone